Welcome to the Beauty Podcast with Sally Hughes, the straight-talking, no-nonsense and zero-bullshit podcast written and presented by me, Sally Hughes, and brought to you by Avon. We'll be discussing a different topic each week with a host of industry experts at the very top of their game. In every show, there'll be a Q&A with them and me, and we really want to hear from you. Ask us any beauty-related question or tell us which topics you'd like to cover. Tag me and use the hashtag #TheBeautyPodcast with Sally. Today's topic is beauty and grooming as a form of expression and empowerment. Now you may not realise, but the reason I ended up in this job is that I was born with a genetic skin condition called ichthyosis. Inherited from my father, it causes my skin cells to turn over too quickly and manifests itself in very dry, often flaky skin, heavily lined hands and limbs that itch like mad and still have to be basted like turkey as soon as I step out of the shower. I was teased at school, self-conscious throughout adolescence, now sometimes still mocked online. Instead of killing my confidence, it made me grateful for what I can do to manage the condition. I became obsessed at a young age with the magical powers of products, good skincare and makeup, and how I could transform and to an extent control what others saw as a curse or disfigurement. I was empowered by research, experimentation, practice and knowledge. So much so that my NHS dermatologist discharged me at 11 years old because I was doing a better job at treating my ichthyosis than they were. That sense of control of being on top of my condition has stayed with me forever and influences many of my beauty decisions beyond it. A red lip to hide hungover skin, a brightening primer and perky cream blush to hide fatigue, a killer bright shadow when I'm feeling gloomy and down. Today's guest has overcome her own challenge with the power of canny beauty. Writer, blogger and author Emma Beddington lost all her hair almost overnight at just 20 years old. Despite this, she began her own beauty blog and has contributed beauty features to glossies and newspapers. I want to know how, when something many of us dread happening occurred, she got back in the saddle and harnessed beauty as a tool for empowerment. Emma, tell me what happened... Because it's like an anxiety dream, isn't it? In a way. <laughs> yeah, it kind of is. Um, so I was 20. I was in my first year at university. I had a jealous, distant boyfriend, a workload that was absolutely insane. And I got to the end of that first year and my hair started coming out in literal handfuls. There was hair everywhere. My bed was literally covered in hair. It was... So you'd wake up in the morning and there'd be hair on the pillow? Yeah, there are pictures from that time because I only vaguely remember because it, it was really traumatic, obviously. Um, there's a, like a carpet of hair across the entire bedroom sort of would develop in like a day because it was just coming out in handfuls. And so you were an overachiever, weren't you? You were Oxbridge. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And it is a time of incredible anxiety for lots of people, isn't it? When they're at, when they're at university, we were particularly in a top tier. Oh, it was it was definitely the most stressful time of my life. And pe- people say that alopecia is not necessarily stress related, yeah. but I think clearly a lot of people I know anecdotally have stress triggers for it. And this was really? probably uh, definitely the worst year of my life. So I wasn't that surprised. I'd had sort of patchy hair loss very occasionally as a child. So it was clearly something that was sort of there in the background. And then this sort of whole sort of combination of circumstances, I think, set it off. I do believe set it off. I I don't think it's coincidence. So, uh, I mean, everyone has that bloody boyfriend when they're 20, don't they? (laughs) I'm married to him now. (laughs) (laughs) You would hope that um, the legacy doesn't last forever. But in your case, it it sounds like it was a trigger. So how did Mm. you 
than act because presumably, well, as you say, it was deeply traumatic at the time. When did you realise that this is just what was going to happen? There was nothing you could do to stop it. I think that took a while, actually. Um, As I say, having had some alopecia as a child, there was kind of an assumption that it's probably going to grow back at some point. And I think in the sort of early months, I mean, obviously I went to see a dermatologist and I think the assumption, at least at the start, was this is something we can try and do something about. Um, And I took steroids, oral steroids for a year. Wow. Thanks, Dr. X, we'll not give your name, um, to absolutely no effect, uh, apart from blowing me up like a pufferfish, of course, and being constantly hungry and getting quite fat. Um, So, no, I think it took a while, a really long time, actually, to, to think, well, this is permanent, and a fairly long time to think, well, this is a long term thing, and I have to, you know, find ways of managing it and being comfortable with it. So before we get on to that part, mm. I just want to let people know what total alopecia means sure. because I think I think most people think, okay, so somebody with alopecia loses their hair on their head, but actually mm. we're talking about every hair on your body. Right? Yeah, that's right. And it didn't all happen at once. It was sort of initially hair on my head, but then I'd say over the next 18 months, I lost some um, body hair, eyebrows, and eyelashes took a little bit longer to go, but also lost my eyelashes. So the, so literally all the hair went from your body and was one thing harder than the other? I think I'd find lashes and brows harder than hair on my head, perhaps. L- lashes, by a mile, are the worst, absolutely. You can't get up in the morning and look the way you'd really like to look with no lashes. Yeah, because, of course, false lashes attach to your lashes, don't yeah, they? Yeah, of course. You can't just whack them on. And I've done it a couple of times, but it's it's not ideal and... Yeah, so so I think lashes by a million miles was, was the worst bit of it. Hair on my head I can deal with. Body hair, frankly, it's a bonus. Um, uh, brows was manageable. I didn't love it, but, you know, you don't love any of this. Uh, but brows was manageable. Lashes was a really, really hard thing to deal with. I know from friends who have been ill and who have undergone chemotherapy and lost their hair for that reason. Sometimes it's grown back, sometimes it hasn't. They have said that they felt a loss of privacy when they lost their hair, that they, it wasn't so much the hair itself as sort of declaring to the world that they were unwell when they didn't really feel it was anybody's business except that of those, that of their loved ones. But I think that's why I very quickly started wearing a wig. Mm. I think you're exactly right. I mean, it is, you're having to show something that makes you feel quite vulnerable, that makes you feel not quite yourself, I think. Uh, and obviously, I was not ill in any way other than this, which, I mean, alopecia is an autoimmune condition, but it's, mm-hmm. it has, does nothing except get rid of your hair. There's no pain, there's no discomfort, it just, it is what it is. So, you know, yes, that's true. But, and I do think that's probably why I always wanted to be wearing a wig. And, you know, even now, I mean, at home, I don't always, but, but I, I would never consider not wearing a wig out, actually. So talk to me about brows and lashes, yeah. because as I say, I think this is the bit that um, I would find tricky. Well, brows, not so much. Tell us what you can do about your brows. So uh, quite early on, I got semi-permanent brows mm-hmm. tattooed on, and that's what I continue to do. Now, the first time I went, I went to some absolute cowboy. Mm-hmm. They did an absolutely dreadful job. I mean, genuinely awful. Um, I had a sort of orange Block, right. blocky orange. That sounds incredibly ugly. <laughs> it was horrific. Um, brows. Thankfully, quite soon after that, I met Sophie Thorpe, who is an absolute genius, semi-permanent brow artist. Mm-hmm. She does all sorts of people whose names she would never tell you. 
and she does a really beautiful job on them. Um, so initially she was basically covering up the absolute disaster of my previous. And how uh, frequently do you need to get those done? Ideally two, every two years, I'd say. And it's, it's, it's very good. It really does work. It looks pretty decent. I mean, clearly, if you got really close up, you'd know it wasn't an actual mm-hmm. actual brow hair. But um, she gives a hair effect. It looks pretty good. I'm always pretty happy with them. Uh, and presumably, I, I've had my brows um, microbladed, not yeah. out of necessity, but out of sheer vanity and curiosity. <laughs> um, and it's great in that it gives you a template, doesn't it? So, yeah. if, so when they start to fade yes. or if you want to ramp up the look a bit, yeah, you can use them as a guide. Yeah, and I think if you've got a good... Uh, microblading artist they're going to give you a nice natural shape I mean Sophie looked at pictures and she asked me to bring in pictures of my me before I lost my brows so that she could actually really have a think about yeah that level of care like. is important isn't yeah it? it really is because I think if you end up you don't want to end up with some crazy surprised brow you know you want to get the brows that that, that are you natural to had. you exactly that's something that you'd feel happy with and that's and good what about lashes why are the lashes the thing that really have driven you a bit nuts at times because it's interesting with lashes because we think, oh, you know, I'd feel so sad without my mascara on. But actually, lashes have quite an important function. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, I think cosmetically, they were the thing that made me most upset as well. I just think they were, oh, completely. I think I was always a sort of liner and mascara and not much of a lip kind of a girl. Oh, interesting. Yes, it's very true. Your lashes do prevent all sort of gunk and dirt and pollution getting in your eyes. And when you don't have lashes, you're much more susceptible to infections. I do get eye infections pretty regularly. Your follicles tend to get infected as well. That's something that happened to me it's happened to me more and more frequently. Like actually, arthritis or something. Yeah, it's horrible. Um, obviously, I'm scrupulously clean with everything I use on them because you have to be. But even so, and I've had a photo shoot last year where I had a really, she did an absolutely beautiful job and she's a sort of Dior makeup. She, mm. she was not using anything that wasn't mm. absolutely pristine. But I ended up in A&E the next day with an eye, you know, eyelid the size of a tennis ball because I just can't tolerate lots and lots of makeup on them anymore so you do have to be really really careful I think with eyes that don't have lashes and what sort of meaning has has what beauty means to you changed since you developed alopecia has has your view of your looks or your relationship with your looks I suppose changed I'm sure it has. Um, and it's, I've been living with it for a long time. So I suspect I'm mean, no, it's evolved over time as well. I think when I first developed alopecia, my main concern was well, a couple of main concerns. One was to make sure nobody knew mm-hmm. or you know, as far as possible, nobody knew. And I was intending to sort of reproduce as much as possible how I looked before. Mm. Uh, and that was a big concern, I think, in my 20s. Um, and I think moving into my 30s, I became a bit more comfortable, I guess, both with the idea that this was probably permanent, because it is, and with the idea that I don't need to be always putting on a full full display, a full face. And, you know, if my eyes are sore, I'm not going to go out with, you know, five layers of shadow and, and a mm-hmm. gel liner. I'm just not, and I have to accept that. It's funny, isn't it? Because as much as it's empowering sometimes to control something it's also quite empowering to say actually some days I'm not in control of it and I'm just going to go out without much at all because it is what it is I mean that's such a form of self-acceptance isn't it in its own way and expression it is and and I'm not saying it's easy and it really hasn't been for me I think especially since my eyes have got much more sensitive and I really struggle like I would say most days 
I don't put anything on my eyes now because I I just can't. Or I'll just put a bit of base on there. Um, and that has been quite difficult to adapt to. And I think, yeah, maybe I do boot up the lip a bit now and, you know, make sure I'm wearing a nice, a nice foundation or a nice tinted moisturiser and a nice blush and just feel like I can do what I can with what I have, I guess. Uh, and just trying to be a bit more comfortable with that. But there are days, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you, there are days when I wake up and I'd really love to be putting on a massive layer of mascara mm-hmm. and, a, and a nice big liner. And, and I do miss that because, because I loved that. And, it, you know, it was always a fun thing I did and something I enjoyed. But you didn't just stay in the game. You didn't just keep wearing makeup. You started writing about makeup and you've written lots about beauty over <laughs> the years. Um, you've written you've written in, in The Guardian about beauty. You've um, had your own beauty blog with your friend. Yeah. And so did you feel that your voice in this industry was important in that you didn't have it quite so easy as maybe lots of women do or certainly lots of beauty editors and writers? I think it's lovely to get different perspectives. And, you know, I think the friend with whom I started the blog has her own challenges too. She has quite difficult skin. So we would be doing it from a perspective. And I think a lot of bloggers do, of you know, yeah. dealing with their own challenges. And, and yeah. I think, as you said when you were in introduction, quite often having a bit of a challenge to overcome is, is often what spurs you to do this kind of thing or, or get more interested in it. And I think that was definitely the case for me. And... There were also things like, you know, I got interested in fragrance or I got interested in body stuff and yeah. all that kind of stuff, none of which was affected by alopecia. I really love as well. So I think there was always, I always had a love of it. And the fact that I was trying to overcome a set of challenges, yes, it probably did sort of spur me on to do it, I think. And what about wigs? Whenever anybody asks me, more often than not, they're women who are undergoing chemo and sure. and need a wig and they always ask me for advice and one of the first things I always say to them is you must get it cut (laughs) when you you buy the wig it will not be right it must be cut and there are various salons that specialise in this I know Trevor Sorby has his own uh, charity where they'll cut your wig for you yeah if, um, if I was going to mention that, actually, yes. Yeah. So, he, would you would you be inclined to agree? Oh, absolutely. You absolutely need to get it cut. Don't don't accept what you first put on your head as as the definitive the definitive story on it. And yes, I was going to say to Trevor Shelby, not only does he do it, but also they have a network of salons around the country that will do it. That will both advise you on getting a wig and will cut them. So it's really really useful. It's called My New Hair. Uh, so if you look that up, that's really, really handy, it's so I think. brilliant. He trains yeah. everyone in his basement. It's, it's yeah. very nice. It's really lovely. Um, such a nice thing to do. Um, yes, I've always got wigs cut. Uh, I get them. I have really nice wigs there. They have a silicone base, which is very nice um, because you can shower in them. You can swim in them. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. They're super comfortable. And they just don't shift. And what about representation? I, I feel that things are getting better. I mean, Avon has this campaign in partnership with Changing Faces where they've pledged to use models with a visible difference with sort of marks, scars, burns, birthmarks, alopecia. Brands like Dove, ASOS, Maybelline have also made a mm. point of widening their definition of beauty. Uh, you've mentioned Trevor Sorby's charity. And then, of course, there's Look Good, Feel Better, who mm. works with seriously ill women and teaches them about skincare and makeup techniques that may help them to feel more empowered and in control when things seem chaotic. Do you do you feel that things are shifting slightly or or not? Do you feel that beauty is becoming a more welcoming and inclusive place for people who don't look the same as everyone else? I'd like to think so. I do think that is the case. And I think 
the brands are doing really admirable work, but I think actually a lot of the impetus from that came from people doing their own thing online or doing their I own thing right. on YouTube. And that's where I think maybe they've picked up on the fact that beauty can be incredibly diverse and there's an audience for all kinds of diverse beauty. Um, and that's been really lovely to see, I think, over the past 10 years. It's kind of a sort of democratisation of of beauty media in a way and and that's been really lovely. I think you're absolutely right. I think people now can find their tribe very easily. Yeah. They can find women like them. Yeah. And it sort of reminds me of, you know, those kind of underground networks where people pass on tips and information. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. That you're never going to read in a mainstream magazine yeah. or website that needs to appeal to a mass market. Suddenly a niche can become a mass market through it the really power can, of the internet. Yeah. Yes, and that's really lovely, I think, to see and, and how great that people now can, can find their tribes, their beauty tribes, so much more easily now. What have you learned about beauty since this happened? I was thinking, um, when I first got alopecia, my mum used to send me off all the time for massages and to go to Turkish baths I think I mean she was really really didn't know what to do obviously now I'm you know I'm a parent and I think how stressful and awful it must have been yeah. when you can't do anything for your kid so she used to send me off to Turkish baths all the time and I was like why I mean fine well, I'll go to the Turkish baths whatever but I think now I kind of realize it's about seeing the sort of diversity of women around you is really really nice and and sort of making peace with the fact that we're all living with something, actually, you know, you look around, there's little skinny ones, there's big fat ones, you know, there's ones with no hair. Ones We're with all... one boob. Yeah, ones, ones with, with one boob. Yeah. And I really Scars. think that there's something really sort of peaceful and lovely about being in a space where where women are sort of just letting it all hang out like that. And I think that was kind of what she was trying to, to show me. And it took me a while and I kind of probably only really came to that in my 30s. But That's I a think, very emotionally yeah. intelligent thing to have done, I think, on yeah. her part. I think she there was so little she could do, but that seemed to be something she thought might work. And it took, you know, it took a long time and uh, she was dead by then. But I think I, I kind of realised that sort of in the last 10 years, just thinking how lovely it is to be around women of all ages and yes. all sort of appearances. And we're all going through something and we're all dealing with it and we're all sort of beautiful in our own ways. So, yeah. It's also it's... such an act of self-care, isn't it? I, I always think that's very important. If you're feeling unhappy about something to do with your appearance, I think that act of self-care is just an act of kindness to yourself. Um, a, a friend of mine had cancer in her leg and um, she was told it was almost certainly going to have to be amputated. And they said to her, the doctor said to her, when we get you in the operating theatre, we're going to look at the tumour and we're probably going to have to cut off your leg. Um, when you wake up, you'll probably still feel the leg and that will be very upsetting for you, but we'll almost certainly have to take it off. We'll, we'll have a look when we're in there. And she woke up after the operation, she could feel her leg and she didn't dare look at it. And she was telling me about this after the fact and she said um, that finally she had the nerve to pull back the blanket in hospital and saw that her leg was still there. They'd managed to save the leg. And I, I mean, I was crying and I said, I, I don't know what you do in that situation. You're wheeled into an operating theatre and told that when you come out, you won't have a leg. And then you look and you still do have a leg. I said, what on earth do you do in that situation? And she said, I painted my toenails. Oh, <laughs> and I lovely. really understood it. You know, I, I, I really understood it. I think any woman would, understood it, would understand it. It's kind of like my leg. Yeah. My toenails. They're going to look good whether they're on or off. Yeah. They're going to look good whether they're on or off. And I am going to 
do a kindness to my for my toes and do a kindness for myself and take yeah. control I think it's a sense of control isn't it when you do something like that oh absolutely it's a sense of control and it's the kindness thing it's very you know you look at yourself you're a bit frustrated about the way you look you're not how you would ideally want to look I mean everyone's experienced that to some degree or, or another but to be able to just say yeah and this is how I am and actually I can be nice to this body I can live in this body and, and be kind to it and enjoy it and I think as you get older and you see people dealing with things that are so much worse than what you're dealing with. I mean, my brother has a brain tumour, so he's had no hair for long periods of time. And I think once you've seen somebody going through that, quite honestly, not having hair but being perfectly healthy is pretty brilliant. So. It is. Thank you so much. We've got loads of questions cool. from listeners and I think that you'll be best placed to answer some of them. The Beauty Podcast with Sally Hughes is brought to you by Avon, where as well as buying from a rep, you can now shop Avon online for the same great beauty products. Try their best-selling cream-to-powder foundation, now available in a new matte finish. Browse online through thousands of fantastic ranges from makeup to skincare, perfume to body care, simply by visiting the online store. So to discover your new favourite beauty product, shop with your rep or just search for Avon online. Now back to Sally, answering your questions in the clinic. So let's uh, go straight in. Remember, you can ask me anything online if you tag me and use the hashtag, which I'll remind you of at the end of the show. But firstly, what are the three beauty products that you always carry, Emma? The three beauty products that I always carry. So I have uh, a Nars Dolce Vita matte lip lip lipstick that I really really like it's um, just very very gives you a bit of more of a lip but it's not a big old lip and I really like that that's always ha- kicking around in my handbag um, I have soul tan because I'm quite I'm, I'm very very pale I'm a Celt so I always have like a factor 50 soul tan which I do consider a beauty product yeah in my handbag and um, a little little concealer in a brush Concealer is the great confidence giver. Kate asks, I'm 33 years old and if I have a bad night's sleep, it really shows any ideas. Emma, we have four kids between us. I'm sure we can (laughs) relate from when they were little. I like something like, like a facial spritz, actually. I like to just like blast my face with something that's going to like perk it up a bit just to plump wake it. me up yeah perk and plump I think that's my key one and then an um, absolute ton of blusher yes <laughs> it's such an underrated tool the blush come on just go with it yeah I, I meet so many women who don't wear blusher and they're like I can't leave the house without my mascara and my lipstick I'm like no concealer and blusher will make the biggest difference oh man absolutely because yeah. it's the biggest piece of facial real estate <laughs> it really it? is it really and is that's the bit that's going to make the difference I'm not so bothered about uh, the mascara and the lip if if I don't have time to do everything um, yes, I totally agree on pink blusher. It just makes you look perkier, happier, more awake, more youthful. Um, I would agree with that. And I would also add just tons of hyaluronic acid. You really don't yeah. need to spend lots of money. Um, but a serum containing lots of hyaluronic acid and, and maybe some vitamin C um, will really perk up your skin and just plump things out. It's a bit like imagining, imagine kind of throwing a raisin into a glass of warm water. It just kind of expands and plumps and makes you look more awake. 
Natalie, I love wearing artistic makeup. It's a big part of my personality, so I wear a lot. However, I also have really bad acne, and I know the makeup makes it worse. I don't want to give the makeup a break, so are there any particular products I should be using? So you've written a fair bit about problem skin on your um, co-authored beauty blog. Um, what would you say to that? I would, I would certainly suggest an oil-free makeup. Yes, I'd really need my my co-blogger in here because I actually have been quite lucky. I don't. One of the things I don't have is is particularly problematic skin. Um, I know she's a massive fan of of anything for the French pharmacy brands. Yes. Yeah. She's she's French, so so if it comes from a French pharmacy and it's incredibly calming, then that's what she's going to be using. I um I really do believe that. If you wear lots and lots and lots of makeup and have problem skin, you can totally get away with it if you properly remove it. You really need to take it off before you go to sleep. And it's amazing to me how many women worry about their problem skin and and take meticulous care over applying their makeup than just whack a wipe all over their face (laughs) before bed. And so that's just asking for trouble. So a really meticulous cleanse. I would certainly suggest um, a beta hydroxy acid after your cleanse um, at least three times a week, possibly every day once you've um, built up a tolerance. And the joy of beta-hydroxy acid is that it is oil-soluble, not just water-soluble, which is what an alpha is. An alpha-hydroxy acid is water-soluble. A beta-hydroxy acid is oil-soluble. So it will penetrate the oil and it will just clear out any debris in the pores. And that will help you enormously. And then with the rest of your skincare and makeup, just make sure it's oil-free, nothing that can clog your pores. But do make sure you take it off. It's so important. Katrin, my hair changes with my hormones, so some days it looks great, but mostly it's rubbish. Why is that, and how do you make it look full and magical all month? Hmm. Well, Emma could tell you where to get good rubbish hair. (laughs) I can certainly tell you about rubbish hair. It doesn't actually say why your hair is rubbish, so it's hard for me to say because um, it's quite a non-specific word, rubbish. I think we all feel like that sometimes. Flat, thin, I don't know. Flat, perhaps. Um, I would suggest switching because I really do have very, very flat, puny hair. And I would suggest using a shampoo without sulfate in it and without silicon because I do find silicon weighs it down after a while. And if you are using a silicon product, just change to a non-silicon product quite frequently to get rid of the buildup. Um, I do find those ingredients weigh my hair down a fair bit. Um and also you can use you can use a, a co-wash, so a cleansing conditioner, lots of those on the market now. Um, and that just doesn't have that kind of slight fairy liquid vibe to it. I just find that although it's counterintuitive, you might think that, that may weigh your hair down, providing it doesn't have silicon in, it doesn't. Anne, being in my early 40s, what should I add to my skincare routine to minimise wrinkles? So we're both in our 40s. What do you do? You've got glorious skin. Mm, I have glorious skin covered in makeup. <laughs> I don't, not sure it's glorious underneath. Um, I certainly stopped using any kind of foaming cleanser and I only really use something that's quite rich now. Yeah. I think that's probably helped a bit. I think it's a good rule of thumb as we get older. We probably, well, mostly we need a little extra. Yeah, so I definitely do that. Um, I confess I'm not a great user of serums because I am quite averse to faff. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure you'll tell me, maybe you can tell me what I should be using. So I maybe use a little ceramide capsule and and a decent moisturiser. Mm-hmm. I mean, ceramide's lovely. Again, it's that kind of cushiony richness. Yeah. 
Well, in terms of wrinkles, what do we know works? We know retinol works. We know for a fact that retinol works. Whether you enjoy using retinol is a completely different conversation. Mm. Um, I personally don't use retinols as regularly as many of my colleagues because I think it's a question of priorities. What's most important to you? If wrinkles, if treatment of wrinkles is most important to you, then try a retinol. Personally, my thing is glow. I like glow. I'm less worried about wrinkles, more worried about dullness and kind of lacklustre skin. So I opt for a vitamin C. Um, but but if wrinkles are your thing, you do really need to try a retinol. Everybody does them these days. They are Avon does them, Superdrug does them, right up to retinols that cost 200, 250 pounds. And it really is a question of um, finding the one that works for you. And they can be trial and error retinols. Um, sometimes you'll use them and think, actually, I can't bear to go through the pain barrier of skin being a bit flaky, a bit drier, um, a bit more sensitive for a few weeks. But it is worth persevering if you really want to see those results because we know that retinol works that is an undisputed fact chloe how can you give the illusion of smaller pores without causing outbreaks people bloody obsessed with their pores aren't they do you find that i know it's a thing but i've never it's not something that i've ever been particularly you know bothered by i I don't wish i don't wish to minimize it no No. pun intended but um (laughs) Women over 35 become incredibly um, preoccupied with the size of their pores. And it's I understand why, because most people's pores become more enlarged when they're older. But it's very hard to make women understand that nobody else regards your pores in the way that you do. That was literally what I was going to say, is pores are something that only you really know, see or care about. Nobody else gives a rat's ass about your pores. It's so true. Do you, I mean, I would get rid of a magnifying mirror if you're that worried about it. Yes, quite frankly, yes. Do you, <laughs> yes, are, are, are you somebody, so I have, I have a mirror that lights up and it's, it's the most unflattering light you can ever have. And yes. I like it because yes. I think, well, it's the absolute worst it could be. Yeah. And so if I look all right in this mirror when I put my makeup on, yeah. I definitely look all right. No, I think but lots of my friends come around and they're like, Jesus, take that mirror away from me. It's causing me anxiety and depression i think you need to if you know the mirror and you know it's work then then you're you're ready for the mirror but you have to be ready for the mirror don't you we used to i've just moved but in my previous house there was part and i did not install this mirror but there was one of those horrible mirrors of truth yeah um and yeah if you sort of caught yourself unawares in it it was pretty pretty grim it was like the you know when your phone opens on front camera and you'll just sort of see the worst possible oh, angle that's of terrible. yourself yes that's well it's kind of like that that mirror i feel i feel with this subject of empowerment and confidence the world is divided into two types and i don't think anybody's wrong for me knowledge is what makes me feel knowledge empowered <laughs> and so i never want the mirror that makes me look thin or makes me look better because I want to know what's going on. And when I know what's going on, then I feel empowered to find out ways of making things <laughs> making look better. better. But I quite understand why people feel empowered by the lie, really, why people just want to look in the mirror and feel fantastic. Yeah. I get it. In our bathroom where I grew up, there was one of those magical mirrors where you, everyone looked much better. And, I, you know, I do sometimes think wistfully of that mirror and how much better I always looked in it. <laughs> But in terms of shrinking your pores, well, you need a BHA. Again, a beta-hydroxy acid um, will definitely help your pore size. And then in terms of uh, covering them up, a silicon primer yeah. is still the best. Some polyfiller, yeah. some makeup polyfiller. Good old silicone primer. 
Teju, what is your opinion on skincare fridges? Are they a fad or are they here to say, stay? Emma, do you know what these are? Have oh you seen goodness. these on Instagram? I have never even heard of such a thing. Is it a fridge for your skincare? It literally mini is that. So you know the little <laughs> mini bars that used to you, that teenage boys have next to their beds and right. pretend they keep Budweiser in them yeah. or whatever, even though they've probably got some um, lemonade in there. It, it, um, the best. They look like that, but they're kind of pink and they you store your skincare in them to keep it fresh. I mean, I think language probably prevents me from saying what I think of them, but no, I would say you do not need a skincare fridge. I mean, if you want to put your skincare in the fridge, you've got a fridge, right? Yes, you've got an actual fridge. An actual fridge. I find that uh, moisturisers, if they're super, super cold, they don't melt in as nicely, they don't have as nice a texture, they don't give as good glow because they don't meld together with your skin so easily. But having said that, you do need to keep your skincare out of bright sunlight because you don't want a separation issue where the oil and water separate and you get a kind of gloopy texture that goes off quickly. That That much is true. The only thing I keep in the fridge is my Frederick Mel body cream in the summer because I only really wear it in the winter. I only really wear it in the winter because it's sort of winter scent and I want to keep it it in good condition for the next winter. Nice. So, yes, nice and dry, and cool, but you do not need special white goods. No, no, no special white goods required. <laughs> Emma, where can we find you online? I am on Twitter at, at Belgian Waffling and also on Instagram, again, at Belgian Waffling. Very good username, that. <laughs> I, I used to I live always, in Belgium. <laughs> I always think of you as Waffle in my head. and I, I, always, I always have to remember your actual name because in my head you're Waffle. Always good to have a food stuff in your name, I find. Very much so. Thank you so much for answering our listeners' questions. Please do keep asking them. You can tag me anywhere on social media, except for Snapchat because I'm not 12. <laughs> and you can hashtag it, the beauty podcast with Sally, and I will find you and try and fit your question in. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening to us. The Beauty Podcast with me, Sally Hughes, with my guest, Emma Beddington, and brought to you by Avon. See you next time. Bye. Bye.